Happy Easter. Thank you to all of you in the South Auditorium, the North Auditorium, and they told me they opened the East Building too. So thank you for all that you've gone through. To be part of the fifth of six weekend services here at New Spring, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and have a seat. Um, This is my 32nd Easter here at New Spring, and I don't think I've ever talked about the character I'm going to talk about today. And there's a reason for that, because as Christ followers, many of us, when we come in here, we're we're so excited about Jesus rising from the grave. (laughs) And when we we look at stories in the Bible, we want to hear from people who are excited. So through the years, I've talked about the, the ladies who came to the tomb of Jesus, and then Peter and John, and then last year I talked to you about how there were a couple of Jesus followers that were on their way to a little country town, and they were like sad that Jesus had died, and all of a sudden Jesus just shows up and starts talking to them. And then we've talked about you know Jesus appearing to James and to Paul and others. But today I want to talk to you about Jesus appearing to a skeptic. That's an unusual topic to talk about on Easter and I, there are a couple reasons why I feel strongly about doing this. Number one, and I don't want to freak anybody out. It's not like, you know, it's not like God said it out loud or sent me a message on my iPhone. But I've had a real sense that God wanted me to talk about Thomas this year. And then there's a second reason. If you haven't figured it out already, New Spring is a little bit of an unusual church. We're just a touch on the iconoclastic side. I mean, after all, when you come in and it's Bono and you go all the way from Bono to Bill Gaither, you just know it's an unusual church. But that's a, side, that's a side point. The reason I say that is that through the years, it's, it's become understood in our city that New Spring is a safe place to go with questions. Last week, I was in a group, and it was just this awesome experience, and a young woman was telling her story about being in a closed religious group and how she had questions, and she was pushed away because she had questions. And the very thing that brought her to New Spring was she found out we had something called Starting Point, which is all about asking questions. And I know that there are many people who attend New Spring that are in various stages of searching. Some, you might be here today and you're not sure what you believe, but you're open. And others of you, I have friends here who are agnostic. And I've had friends say to me, Mark, is it okay if I come to New Spring? I don't agree with you. I don't believe what you're saying. And I'm saying, you're who gets me up in the morning. You could even be here and be a non-theist. You could say, Mark, I'm not even an agnostic. I've settled it. I don't believe in God. And for that reason, and for just the honesty that comes from facing real questions today, I want to bring my talk to you for a few moments about the skeptic and the story of Jesus' resurrection. His name is Thomas. In fact, I grew up in church, and back in the day, we used to call him Doubting Thomas like he had it printed on his checks. Uh, For all of you under 30, those little pieces of paper that we used to write... So there are three places in the Bible where Thomas shows up, and it's within a 14-day period. And I want to show you the first place because we get a little touch of his personality in this one. Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to go back to Judea. That's a region. Uh, Jerusalem would be the capital of that. Um, And the purpose of Jesus going to Jerusalem ultimately, as we know, is he's going to go to die on the cross. But he's telling his disciples that he needs to go see a family there because they just lost someone who is very dear to them and to Jesus, a guy named Lazarus. So Jesus says to his disciples, we're going back to Judea. And the disciples are like, we don't think that's a good idea because the last time you were there, they wanted to kill you. And so we just don't think, we think you should go someplace where you're more popular. And Jesus is like, no, I'm going to Judea. And it's to that statement that Thomas responds like this. John eleven sixteen. so Thomas called Didymus, just means twin. If you're a twin here, you, maybe you could teach me a lot about Thomas. I don't know. So Thomas called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's go so we can die with him. <laughs> That's the first time we ever meet him. Thomas like, okay, let's get it over with. Let's go die. Thomas is a pessimist. 
But you know, that's sort of strange because it could be that somebody here today has had an experience where you've actually sort of level with someone and you said to him or her, you know what, you're a pessimist. Or it could be that you were on the other end of that conversation and somebody was leveling you, with you and saying, you know what, you're a pessimist. What is it that people say when they're told that they're a pessimist? I'm not a pessimist. I'm a, I'm a realist. Yeah, I, I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. And you know, thank God for people like Thomas. We, we need people who like facts. You know, you could be part of a team or part of a group, and at work, you like have meetings with your CEO or your lead partner or your manager, and like, you know, that person's bringing out this whole new paradigm of how you're going to do business, and, and everybody in the room is like, yeah, let's light this candle, let's do this thing. But there's that one person in the back of the room that says, before you guys all race off into la la land, I'd like to hear something that makes sense. And that's Thomas. Thomas likes facts. In all my years here at New Spring, one of my closest friends was the longest-serving judge in Sedgwick County. He's with the Lord now, Paul Clark. And Paul and I used to go to lunch. And Paul was, I mean, he was like out of central casting. He was the quintessential judge. You know, he had those glasses perched on his nose. And we'd be swapping stories at a restaurant, and finally he would lean back and he would say, you know, pastor, facts are stubborn things. That's true for a judge. It's true for anybody in science, business, engineering, faith. Let's never forget something. Everything is ultimately going to bow to fact. I am a believer in the Bible. I believe God's word is true. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God. You could be here today and you're a non-theist. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in the Bible, you don't believe anything is true. But let me just tell you one thing about both of us. Ultimately, whatever we believe is going to bow to fact. You can tell me how it's nomenclatured. You can tell me it's science, it's religion, it's engineering, it's mathematics, it's medicine. But at the end of the day, this whole thing's going to bow to fact. And you got to hand it to Thomas because Thomas is somebody who likes facts. Now, in the second time that we see Thomas, we discover something else that Thomas doesn't like. He doesn't like to be in a group where everybody's pretending they understand when they don't understand. The second time, the second occasion is on Thursday night. Jesus will be arrested that night, subsequently tried and executed. So he's calming, Jesus is calming his disciples down, trying to get them to take the long look and telling them the promises of God. So he says to them in John 14, 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. Father's home there is an expression that means heaven. Jesus said, guys, don't freak out. There's more than enough room in my father's house. It's not like flying United. I couldn't leave that alone. God doesn't overbook and drag you out. Jesus said, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you'll always be with me where I am. And Jesus said, and you know the way where I'm going. And the disciples are like, yeah, we do. We, we got it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We know. Do we have any teachers here? In all of our services, we've had a lot of teachers. If you're a teacher, would you raise your hand, please? I love you guys. And, and yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> many years ago, in my early 20s, I was bivocational. So I was associate pastor of a church and also taught, you won't believe this, I taught English. You won't believe that from hearing me. But I remember what it was like back in my teaching days because you would teach it and the kids would all say, yeah, we sort of understand it, we get it. And there's always a kid in the back of the class that's like, I don't get it. And you know what? Oftentimes I did my best teaching then. And, and that's Thomas. I mean, Jesus has just said, guys, I'm going away. It's better for you that I go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you. And you guys know where I'm going. You know how to get there. And their disciples, yeah, we do. And Thomas like, we don't have a clue where you're going. 
And we look at this. He's, Thomas said, no, we don't, Lord. We, we have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? I'm glad he was there because I don't think the other disciples knew either. And it was to Thomas's question that Jesus responded with one of the greatest statements in the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. If you know the New Testament, you probably know that, but did you know it was a response to a guy who liked facts asking the question, we don't know where you're going, we don't know how to get there. But the third time that we see Thomas, he's up against something that he can't get an answer for. Jesus is dead. And you know already that Thomas lives in a real world. And Thomas knows that people don't come back from death. They come back from a lot of things. They come back from embarrassment. They come back from sickness. They come back from disappointment. They come back from divorce. By the way, two weekends from right now, we're starting the biggest series I've ever been part of in 32 years here at New Spring. (laughs) It's called Free to Be Me. And what we're going to discover is a lot of times the very things we fear are the very things that bring us to authenticity and allow us to be free. And Thomas is saying, yeah, people come back from all kind of stuff, but not death. (laughs) I read this in Newsweek several years ago. There was an item in Newsweek, and it was a letter from the Greenville County, South Carolina Department of Social Services. And the letter was written to a dead person. It said, to whom it may concern, your food stamps will be stopped effective immediately because we have received notice that you passed away. Now, that's enough right there. But it was the next line that got me. You may reapply. (laughs) If there is a change in your circumstances. (laughs) And, And Thomas felt like you feel. I mean, you're laughing about that because you know with death, there's just not a change in your circumstances. In my years of ministry, I preached well over a thousand funerals. And I've never had anybody get up and go home with us. I would have loved that, but I've never seen that. So Thomas is dealing with this third question now for which there's no answer. Jesus is dead. And not only was he dead, he died brutally. They wrecked and ruined his body with this horrific crucifixion. And then beyond that, it was embarrassing because no no upstanding person could die of crucifixion regardless of their crime. So I just want to be real clear about where Thomas is on Easter. I mean, he's not where we are celebrating and all that. I mean, Thomas is like packing up the gear, packing up the merchandise. I mean, he's put a sign on the door. The tour is over. We're closed for business. We had a nice three-year run, but we're through here. I thought, I thought this guy was going to be the Messiah, but I guess I hitched my wagon to the wrong star. And the rest of the disciples are still clustering around. They're in a locked room. They're scared themselves, but they don't really know what to expect next. And Thomas is like, I don't know what you guys are into. I don't know what you guys are expecting, but I am finished here, and I'm out. But on Sunday morning, Sunday morning Thomas starts hearing things. There were some ladies who went to the tomb, and they found it empty, and one of them said they saw Jesus, and then Peter and John went down there, and they come back, and they're saying, you know, he's alive again, and Thomas is trying to sort through that. It's like, well, the ladies were probably crying, and they probably couldn't see through their tears very well, and John, you know, he's an emotional mess, and Peter, the dude's crazy. And so Thomas like, I still don't get it. So on that Sunday afternoon, the 10 were meeting, the 10 disciples minus Judas and Thomas. They were meeting. And in that meeting, all of a sudden, Jesus appears. There's no doubt about it. He's there. He's there. He shows them his wounds. And and so Thomas not being there is is met by some of the other guys in the group that say, Thomas, man, he's alive. We saw him. He was there. 
Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see Thomas' response to that. This is in John 20, verse 24. One of the uh, disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand in the wound in his side. Now, again, we're going to see this a couple of times today. The New Testament's written in Greek. We got it in English. And a lot of stuff you just can't bring over into English. But this is the strongest double negative that could be possibly used in the Greek language. Thomas is basically saying, I ain't never, never, ever going to believe this. Now, Thomas is factually wrong because Jesus is alive. But I love two things about Thomas's statement. Here's the first thing I like about it, and that is that Thomas is not going to be satisfied with a fake Jesus. I mean, Thomas doesn't know what's going on, but it's kind of like, I don't know, some guy showed up and you thought he was Jesus. And Thomas like, you know what, until I can see the nails in his hands and the spear print in his side, I'm not going to believe. Thomas saying, don't slip a ringer in on me. I got to tell you, I like that. Through the, through the years at New Spring, I've told you I hate religion. Religion is always a cheap counterfeit of the real thing. The message of religion doesn't, you know, people tell me all religions are the same. No, religions believe a lot of different things, but they're the same in one aspect. Religions tend to be merit-based. Religions are all about jump through these systems, check these boxes, you know, climb these steps, and if you do, then maybe God will like you again. And, and if it's a Christian religion, it'll be, yeah, oh, by the way, there was this guy named Jesus. He's sort of on the periphery, and he's very important, but still, at the end of the day, you got to check these boxes, do these things, and if you do all this stuff, you can be part of our group, and God will like you. That is religion. It's what I hate. It's a fake Jesus. See, the, the, the real story of the Bible is that we are all spiritually bankrupt. Our first parents sinned. We've added our own contribution to that. We are forever separated from God, but God didn't want to leave it that way. And so consequently, God came into our world wearing skin in the person of Jesus Christ. And for 33 years, he ran the table and lived a life that we could never live and took that perfect life and laid it on a Roman cross. And the way God saw it, the blood that came out of his body was a currency that paid for anything and everything that we've ever done wrong. So that right now, God could put an offer on the table and say, anyone who comes, regardless of your situation or regardless of your background, if you will come by faith and receive the free gift of everlasting life by trusting my son, Jesus Christ, you can bypass hell and go straight to heaven when you die. And beyond that, Jesus is saying, I'll be with you every day of your life. That's the real Jesus. But unfortunately, that's not the Jesus that a lot of us have encountered. We're still working through that jumping through the hoops thing. So I got to hand it to Thomas. He wasn't going to be satisfied with a fake Jesus. Second thing I like about Thomas is he doesn't play the can't card. I have friends who don't believe, and they'll tell me, I can't believe. That's not true. I appreciate it, Thomas saying, I won't believe. Always remember this. Always remember the evidence is objective, proof is subjective. You know, here's the thing. We could believe opposite points of view in politics or sports or matters of faith. We could be 180 degrees different. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, we both set on evidence and we look at evidence and we measure it. Evidence is objective, but proof is subjective. I mean, there's still people who don't believe that men walked on the moon. There's still people who don't believe in the Holocaust. And what they're saying is the the evidence has not risen to a level of a threshold of proof. Now, for every lucid person it has. But Thomas is just making it plain here. He's saying, look, I refuse to believe. I know there's evidence out there, and that evidence can be evaluated. 
But at the end of the day, it just hasn't risen to my threshold of proof. But more than that, I'm choosing deliberately not to believe. Well, what did he believe? I mean, because people have come up with all kinds of ideas through the years. I mean, there, there are people who say they just somebody robbed the grave and took Jesus' body out of the grave. But you and I have talked about that before. I mean, because the, the religious leaders of the day went to the Roman governor and said, we want a watch of soldiers. That's 16 soldiers. I've explained this many times to you, how that, that would, at night, if there were 16 soldiers guarding something, there would be four soldiers standing at a, awake at attention, and they would do shifts of three hours while the other 12 slept, and they would lie down in front of whatever was being guarded like spokes on a wheel. The Roman seal would have been, a cord would have been stretched and waxed across the front of the tomb, signifying that whatever Rome said was in there was in there. And if it wasn't, it'd be the loss of life of everybody guarding it. So if anybody wanted to steal the body of Jesus, they would have had to crawl across the sleeping Roman soldiers, overpowered the four who were awake, pulled off a two-ton stone, dragged out the body of Jesus without waking up the other 12. No, here's the thing. Nobody ever believed his body was stolen. His followers were too scared. His enemies had no incentive. And the Roman guards would have lost their life if they let it happen. So no, I don't know what Thomas was thinking, but that one won't work. Or perhaps he was thinking that, you know, there were a couple of people with vivid imaginations like Peter and John, and the rest of them just sort of went along like dominoes falling. But then time would prove that that was not right either because the Bible talks about all the witnesses. In 1 Corinthians 15, he was seen by Peter and then the 12, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Paul writes, most of them are still alive. You can go check it out. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So Paul talks about all the people that saw Jesus. There's too many eyewitnesses. 500 at one time? You know, that's been a hard one for skeptics to deal with, and the idea is well, maybe they just all hallucinated. Hey, I'm a child of the 70s. And I do know a few situations where 500 people could have hallucinated, but not the same hallucination. Well, maybe Thomas thought, you know, perhaps his friends were riding a surge of adrenaline, and in time, you know, calmer senses would prevail, and they'd walk it back. He couldn't have known it then, but that didn't happen either. They didn't walk it back. They all died for what they claimed they saw. And people will tell me today, they will say, well, Mark, people will die for a hoax. I mean, after all, it's only been 16 years since two guys flew 757s into the Twin Towers for something that was false. I know that. But there's one thing about martyrs. You can't get first-generation martyrs to die for a lie. The people that actually claim they saw something, you can't get people to suffer like these guys suffered for something they know is a hoax. History tells us that James was the first to die. He was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was beaten and fastened to an X-shaped cross. Took him two days to die. Bartholomew preached in India. He was crucified upside down. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death in Jerusalem. Philip preached in eastern Turkey till he was crucified. Matthew was hacked to death with an axe in Ethiopia. Simon the Zealot was crucified in Britannia. The only one of the disciples to die a normal death was John the Apostle. And he died after being tortured with scalding oil and sent to work in the mines of Patmos. People don't do that for something they know is a hoax. So I don't know what Thomas thought. I mean, here's the thing. If you don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave, you have to believe something. And, and here's the deal. If a person is a skeptic here today or an agnostic or a non-theist, I, my heart goes out to you. I sympathize with you because I understand it's a slippery slope. 
Because if Jesus did rise from the dead, then everything else he said is true, and everything else he said is true. That leads me right in to the question of how does God feel about me. So I understand very carefully why skeptics are very, very prone to step back from this precipice. But you have to believe something. And there's so much evidence. Could I remind you something right now? You do remember that Jesus picked Thomas. If I am talking to a non-theist right now or an agnostic, don't be too quick to think that God doesn't want you. Just, just being very personal with you. When I was 16 years old and God revealed to me that he wanted me to do this, I thought I would be the last person God would ever want. Because as I've told you through all these years, faith comes hard for me. I believe what I believe, but I wish I could be like my wife. My wife just has such awesome faith in God. Me, I'm, I'm an old debater from high school and college days. I like people to lay the evidence on the table. I understand the rules of evidence. And so in my growing up years, I, I was always challenged. I would always want to seek these things out and search them out. And I always wondered, God, why do, why do you want me to communicate your message? But through the years, one of the things that I've watched be really interesting is oftentimes people that do have questions and can be on the skeptical side find a home here at New Spring. I know this may be hard to believe, but if you're a non-theist here today or an agnostic, don't be too quick to rule out God because God has a real cool way of revealing himself to you when you don't expect him. Who knows? Maybe someday God will want you to talk to people like you. Well, anyway, let me finish this up. Eight days after this meeting where Jesus showed up for the rest of the disciples and Thomas said, I won't believe. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be to you, he said. And then he said, Thomas. I mean, he just walks in, peace. Hey, Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands and put your hand in the wound of my side. And don't be faithless any longer, but be believing. Now, I'm going to tell you, that has got to be one of the worst English translations in the Bible. Let me see if I can paraphrase. Here's what Jesus was saying. Thomas. I know you. I know you got questions and you're skeptical. But Thomas, you've crossed the line. See, questions are good because they lead us to seek after God. I mean, even doubt sometimes. You know, even though doubt is not a good thing, ultimately it, it can be something that takes us down the journey of asking questions. But unbelief is a different thing. Unbelief means faced with the evidence I deliberately choose not to believe. And what Jesus was saying is, Thomas, I love you. I know you. I know you got questions. I know you're a little bit on the skeptical side. But, Thomas, you've stepped over a line. And now, all of a sudden, you, in the face of all this evidence, have become unbelieving. Here's exactly the translation from what Jesus said. Stop becoming unbelieving. Um, when I was working on this, I thought about a quote from... Dostoevsky and the brothers Karamazov. Dostoevsky said to the genuine realist, if he's an unbeliever, he'll always find strength and ability to disbelieve the miraculous. If he is confronted with a miracle as an irrefutable fact, he would rather disbelieve his own senses than admit the miraculous also. And that's what Jesus is calling Thomas back from. He's saying, look, Thomas, be objective. And then Thomas got something the rest of us didn't get. I mean, he got Jesus standing there before him. And suddenly Thomas said, my Lord and my God. But here's the thing that amazes me. 
It wasn't so much the, refer- the, the proof that Jesus had risen from the grave that got Thomas. I think it was when he saw the scars. I think it was when he looked at those hands and realized that those hands bled for Thomas to have everlasting life. Through the years, that's question- it's been something that people have questioned. How can, how can we deal with sin? Socrates, when he was talking to his pupil Plato, said it may well be that the deity can forgive sin, but I don't see how. But when Thomas saw the hands of Jesus, he saw how that Jesus had died to forgive him him of his sins. And it was at that moment that Thomas made one of the greatest statements in the Bible. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. My Lord, you are the one I follow. My God, you are the one I worship. History tells us that Thomas went to India I find that interesting because when the gospel was taken by the disciples to the parts around Jerusalem, there were places in which there would have been some common beliefs. But Thomas went to India where those people who lived in those lands would have been skeptical of everything he said. He went to India and there he was killed with a spear by pagan priests. The time for our service has come to an end. And I I just need to end the sermon at least and let you know this, that I don't want anyone else to, anyone to ever leave here at New Spring without knowing for sure that Jesus is your Lord. I want you to know that you've accepted him as Savior and Lord and that your life is eternal. Here's the thing I want to say to all of you. You know, it could be someone saying, well, Mark, you've talked about skeptics today. My biggest fear today is not skeptics. Skeptics tend to be pretty objective. My fear today is for religious people. I really worry I worry about a lot of religious people because the thing of it is you've gotten into the system of checking boxes and you work so hard and you try so hard to be a good person without the understanding that that doesn't get you into heaven. That only by receiving Jesus can you be saved. I was reading a story from Anderson Cooper the other day at CNN that made me think about this. He told the story of Wilfredo Garza who for 35 years lived the life of an undocumented and he, would, he lived in Mexico, but when he got broke, he would come across the Rio Grande. He would work for a while, but he always was looking over his shoulder to see if he was going to get caught. Four times he did get caught in those 35 years and got bussed back to Mexico. But when things got tough, he'd swim across the Rio Grande and come back. <laughs> All those years he lived like an illegal. But one day, Wilfredo got his courage up and went in to see an immigration lawyer. And as the immigration lawyer began to do research, he discovered something. He discovered that Wilfredo's father was born in Texas. And not only was he born in Texas, he had a work record in Texas. And because of that, Wilfredo was an American citizen. All these years of living, looking over his shoulder with fear for nothing because he was an American citizen. I mean, the papers, you know, his, his father's birth certificate and his work record, his papers were all in place. That's how it is for a lot of you. You've been trying so hard to appease an angry God when all the time he's a God who loves you, loves you so much that he sent his son into the world to die for you and to rise again so that you could put your confidence in him and have everlasting life. If you would like to pray with me, I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. I want to give you a chance to pray with me. I'll give you a a prayer. I'll pray it slowly so that you can decide if you want to own the words. Dear God, I am a sinner. I can't save myself. But I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died for my sins. 
I believe he arose from the grave. I ask you to forgive me and make me your child. Thank you for the gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stay where you are. I want to, if you just pray with me, you say, Mark, I still have a lot of questions. I have a gift I want to give you. Inside this gift is the same Bible I preach from, a, a DVD and a book I wrote, and that will answer a lot of questions. But if you just pray with me, all you got to do is take a talk to us card. There's probably one in the back of the seat in front of you. Put in whatever information you're comfortable with and just check the box that you receive Christ or you pray to receive Christ. Go to any info center and they will give you this. They won't hassle you, stalk you, ask for your routing number, anything. They just want to give you this. Please stay where you are. We're going to have an offering. You're going to see some things coming up at New Spring, and then the band is going to be back. God bless you, and happy Easter.